Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Market View on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and this is Market View Wrap. Now, the bad news is Clarissa Montero will not be joining us for this final uh, episode of the week. But before we head into the weekend, I am glad to confirm that Jeff Howie market strategist for the SGX, is still with us to help us take stock of the week that was. Now, Jeff, before we start things, I do want to set the table as I usually do. Um, You know, things in the markets are looking a bit dicey in most places except one, and that's here in Singapore. And I want to get into the contrast of how equities, at least, are trading here against other places. Um, Currently, the STI, you know, we are seeing gains. They're, They're Rather, uh, the rather subtle gains, but still up by about 10 points, which is nothing to laugh at when you look at the, how the rest of the region is performing. 3,147 is where we sit at lunchtime and about 681 million Singapore dollars in total value to know. So that's a little bit thinner than we've seen in recent times, but it's no chump change, at, lo- at least with, when, with regards to trading activity. 209 stocks, reads and trusts in the green, slightly more than the 198 that are losing ground. So sentiment t- tilting towards the green team. And as we mentioned a while ago, um, this is very standing out in sharp contrast to the rest of the region that is swimming in a pond, not a pool, but a pond of red. Nikkei 225 today falling by 1.2% at the lunch break, uh, well, as we head deeper into the afternoon session out in Tokyo, the ASX 200 also falling by about half a percent in today's session. We've got Shanghai and Shenzhen both down by 1% and 1.8%. The tech-heavy KOSPI and the and the TIEX in, in South Korea and Taiwan, respectively, also seeing declines. The KOSPI down by 0.6% and the TIEX falling by about 1.4%. We've got the Hang Seng also dealing with a 1.2% intraday step back. So this very interesting to note, because on one hand, we are seeing that markets might be moving in lockstep with that sell-off on Wall Street overnight. We did. We always take note of where U.S. 10-year yields head. We're still above 1.7%, and these inflationary fears might have just taken a day off um, on Thursday after the proclamation from Fed Chair Jerome Powell. But we're also seeing here that although the rest of the region is shuddering at these higher yields, and really the story has been yields, right, Jeff? Um, you know, the S&P yeah. held its, its own for the most part, and really standing tall. Are you, um, before we get into how yields are moving, are you rather impressed or slightly surprised at how sturdy the SDI has been standing up to a lot of these yield pressures that we've seen the last few weeks? Yeah, actually, no, I'm not surprised. Um, I think the moves have been very measured, JP. Um, look, the the two to 10-year US Treasury yield curve, it's it's now, uh, you know, near five and a half year highs. I mean, we last saw this yield curve at 155 basis points back in July 2015. And this this supports the bottom line, not just of our banks, but global banks. So our banks are up seven tenths of a percent in the early session, in the AM session. So you've got DBS, I think, at 28.67, OCBC, $11.67, and UOB at $25.69. And then you've got tech stocks. Venture and AEM both down six tenths of a percent. REITs are also seeing measured moves down six tenths of a percent. And as as we've seen over the past 12 months, benchmark performances for a large part have come down to sector composition and those sector weightages in the benchmark. And as, as the global bank weightage of the STI is, is, say, twice the bank weightage in the Hang Seng Index, I mean, since that FOMC meeting, you've seen the STI gain 1.2% 
versus a 0.5% decline for the Hang Seng Index. Now, HSBC used to be a big part of the Hang Seng Index. It now makes up only around 8% of the Hang Seng Index. But over those one and a half sessions, you've got HSBC up 3% as well. So this is very much a global bank move. Um, our, our banks are up 15% on average in the year to date, which has coincided with those increasingly higher yields on the long end of the US yield curve, but it's not just the Singapore banks, it's the global banks. The global banks, all the big global bank indices are up 18% year to date as well. And we have been highly aligned with that. So the 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 gist of it is, is like last year, it depends on what your benchmark is made up of in terms of its sectors, which has been the key determinant of, of, the, um, of the drivers. I mean, you, you know, um, for, for for the moment, the, the impact of the the higher yields, it, it's mostly just evident in the in the equity markets. You know, it wasn't a concern on on uh, early hours of Thursday our time in Singapore. Um, that the reporter that did press the Fed chair uh, on mm-hmm. comments on the ten year yields. Did you see that? That was the CNBC. The, the the yeah senior economics guy Steve Leesman. He he. He pressed him on it, and and but the Fed chair, I mean, he reiterated that the current stance of monetary policy is appropriate, thereabouts, with 10-year yields at 1.6% at that time, and he noted that the Fed can change the policy in a number of different dimensions, should they deem that's appropriate, um, but as he said, the policy stance is currently appropriate, but he also added that the FOMC would be concerned by disorderly conditions in markets or by persistent tightening of financial conditions that threaten the achievement of the goal. So it's, it's obviously can be on their radar, but not on their radar right now. But so the question is, I, I guess, will 10-year bonds sell off with yields gaining to a point that will test his language there? Um, you know, at the moment, though, financial conditions are still very highly accommodative. You've got the Federal Reserve balance sheets now growing to 7.7 trillion US dollars at the same time the ECB balance sheet now stands at 7.1 trillion euros so and i said that the the impact of those um of those higher yields it's mostly contained to comparative performances of the equity sectors so in APAC our two biggest sectors by market value it's financial services and technology and with those high yields on the long end the banks have been drawing all the institutional flow well not all the institutional flows but a large part of the institutional inflows um, combined dbs ocbc and uob they've seen 1.1 billion sing dollars of net institutional inflows so far this year and as i said those performances very much aligned with what we've seen in the global banks and hence those three banks were also the key driver of the STI moving above that 31.10 to 31.20 short-term resistance level yesterday. Yeah, and you know, as we know, the bank's comprising roughly 42%, if I'm not mistaken, of the STI's weighting. Another cyclical sector that also dominates somewhat, not as much as the banks, but does have a fairly strong presence on the SEI or the property developers, and also some of the REITs are also growing in stature on the STI. Now, what's interesting with these rising yields, though, Jeff, is it's also happening at a time when the trusts and REITs are becoming a bit more acquisitive or a bit more... Uh, active in terms of shopping, if for lack of a better term. Just this week alone, we heard Maple Tree Logistics Trust buying two warehouses 
in India. I believe they've also gone shopping in South Korea uh, just recently. So they've been rather active. Ascend is also talking about how they bought 11 data centers out in uh, out in uh, Europe. Many have said that this this uh, this uh, more penchant, at least penchant to try and uh, expand their asset base, go shopping, has also been bolstered by these lower rates. But if yields start to go up, could this actually derail any capex plans that some of the property developers and REITs here in Singapore have? Yeah, I mean, this this ongoing securitization of real estate assets, we did see that trend uh, start kicking in in the second half of last year. But look, um, the S-REITs, the, the average, um, I guess, the gearing gearing ratio at the moment for those uh, REITs, it's, it's still 37%. And there's still, remember, the gearing ratio limit's now up at 50%. So there's still plenty of room in terms of gearing ratios. And in terms of relative interest rates, um, for our Singapore 10 years, they're, they're uh, currently about 400 basis points less than the average yield of the FTSE ST REIT index um, when you look at it on a, on a forward dividend yield basis. So the yield spread on in general is 400 basis points um, for, the, for the REIT indices to our 10-year um, benchmark government bond yields. So the yields, I guess, uh, overall aren't really at, 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 at any um, kind of level that's threatening that long-term relationship between the yields and the, and the, and the interest rates. But at the same time, um, yeah, ongoing securitization of real estate assets, it, it, is, it is happening. Um, it's been, you know, the, 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 this goal of secondary um, fundraising acquisitions, um, it's, it's, it's been quite popular in our REIT market uh, for, for the last few years now. All right. Yeah, you, as, yeah as, as we as we as we pointed out with, with 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 many of these acquisitions, so it's it is a very vibrant market here. This this yeah. global this global REIT sector, as you, as you know, I think yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very vibrant indeed. I think one thing I just wanted to shift our attention to now that's not been very vibrant and really one of the big causes for why the yield curve has been steepening is the sell-off for bond investors. However, the folks at Bloomberg pointed out that one particular bond space might actually prove to be more lucrative than others. They're actually saying that these real yields in Singapore, which is when you adjust it for inflation, probably offer the highest value among the developed market market. Uh, fixed incomes. We know the SJX also has its hand in, 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 in bond markets. Um, do you think that uh, perhaps uh, there might be more, uh, more inflows into bonds because of this, uh, these uh, relatively better real yields that Singapore's bonds have? And do you think this might actually, could this actually pose perhaps the only um, challenge, at least for fund flows going into Singaporean equities, as we've seen in the last few weeks? Do you think the competition is really going to be between, not really between Singapore equities and others, but Singapore equities versus Singapore bonds moving forward? Yeah, look, I, I think yeah, for for the moment you've got the really big over, overall drivers, though. JP, um, sure. the, at the, Singapore has always been a, a, a known as a hub for good dividends. We we have significant impact in the global dividend indices that um, you know uh, have those high dividend yields, and and our REITs and our indices always rank incredibly highly. Uh, across the region. So we are known as a destination for the global financial institutions to, to, to look for yield. But in terms of where the flows into the, in the fixed income and the equity markets, it's still very much driven by that overarching COVID-19 uh, theme where we're looking at obviously racing ahead with the vaccines um, at the strongest 
possible pace to, to, I think we're getting very close to 400 million vaccine doses already administered and uh, obviously trying to keep those global recorded cases down, which are around 120 million as, as fully recorded now. So that is, um, that's the key overarching driver. But then of course, as you, as you, as you know, um, the highly accommodative financial conditions um, that we're seeing, it, it, it is having that impact in terms of the 10 years or the t- 10 years of the, um, of the de- various fixed income intr- instruments. And uh, just very quickly, Jeff, before we wrap this up, um, it's been very busy last couple of weeks and fairly good weeks, actually, for the STI and the SJIC and uh, Singapore markets for the most part. What might you be looking forward to if you could pick two things next week? Okay, I, I think I think uh, the the China relationship and the U.S. relationship. I know there's there's this there's this conference happening in Alaska today um, that has been in progress, and I think uh, I think that will be on the uh, agenda. The follow up from that, I think we'll be all watching very closely um, towards that to see what what type of results are there. And also, of course, we have our uh, S- most recent STI rebalance, which will be coming to effect on Monday. And uh, no changes to the STI on in in the uh, on Monday, but nonetheless, you do have some index rebalancing going into the close today. All right, so a very interesting way to wrap up the uh, the the first quarter. I can't believe we're saying it's the first quarter of 2021. We're coming to the tail end of that already, <laughs> right, Jeff? How things how things change, how things how time flies. And how things can change so quickly, especially with the fortunes for Singapore's markets. We'd have to leave it there, but I'd like to thank Jeff Howie, market strategist for the SGX, for joining us today on Market View Wrap here on Money FM 89.3. I'm JP Ong. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.